So we've got a special edition of the Gun Show podcast for you today. And uh, we've got our first interview with uh, Patrick E. Kelly, a world-renowned three-gunner and uh, media uh, extraordinary re- representative of the shooting sports. Actually, shooting sports, I was yeah. going to say. Uh, we would like to hear from you also, so please come to our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash gunshowpodcast. Like us, leave us some feedback, tell us what you like, tell us who else you'd like us to interview, and leave their number and so yep. we can call them. And, uh, we'll always give them calls. We'll try to find a way. <laughs> we're going to call them at the most inopportune time. Like, we're, like, just leave us a number. Oh, we'll yeah. call them at 3. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Think, I don't we think don't Patrick care. even knows we're going to be calling him. We're just going to give him a call. Yeah, so, uh, why not? <laughs> Better get your interview face on because it's on. It could be any Wednesday. <laughs> any Wednesday that ends in a Y. Yep. <laughs> also, you can visit us <laughs> at our, uh, website at www.thegunshowpodcast.com. All right, uh, let's give Patrick E. Kelly a call here. Hello? Patrick. There they are. Cool. Hey, there you are. Yay! How are you doing today? Actually, very well. Just came in from the shop. I'm trying to get my equipment ready for the season. Good, good, good. So um, we're interviewing Patrick E. Kelly. He's a famous three-gunner. Famous or infamous? (laughs) Both. A little of both, you bet. (laughs) You're actually our first ever phone interview. Oh, yeah. how do you normally do it? Um, we don't do it. <laughs> oh, cool. So actually, this is your first interview. Instead of having a podcast between you two guys, you brought this clown on. Yep. So we have three clowns on, the, on, on all at the same time. Great. Yep. And we've got Ethan with us, so we've got a total of four um, gun nuts <laughs> with us right now. I, I, I know we got Scott and you. Who else do we got? Ethan? I don't, I don't think I've met Ethan. No, no we actually haven't met yet, Mr. Kelly. Okay, well, this would be a heck of an introduction right here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Patrick. Um, <clears throat> we had a few little questions uh, to to start this interview off. Sure, hit me. Um, we know that you've been three-gunning. About how long have you actually been shooting in the three-gun industry or competition? Well, three-gunning, probably about 89 or 90. 90 for sh- – no, uh, sorry. I've been competing since 87, but in three-gun – I think it was 99. Yeah, I've got a first-place trophy here from Soldier of Fortune in 1999. That was actually the first time I really got into three-gun. So I I had a habit of doing very well at early matches in my career, and then it all goes downhill from there. Well, didn't you used to shoot um, heavy metal? Uh, Yeah, uh, heavy metal wasn't around when I I first started. It was introduced later on, and it actually came on, oddly enough, um, well... I believe it was Eddie Rhodes, uh, who's now deceased. Really good guy, law enforcement guy out of Pueblo, Colorado. Just a great guy. Um, called it He-Man. That's really where it started. And it was part of the Rocky Mountain three-gun when Kurt Miller was uh, putting it on. Um, Kurt Miller and his brother, the one who shall remain nameless because he's an enigma at best. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, Eddie Rhodes said, you know, we ought to really do... They're not manly guns. He wasn't macho about it, but real field guns. So a 308 rifle, uh, and it, it wasn't, you know, he didn't say it had to be iron sights. It ended up morphing into that. But a 308 rifle, a 45 ACP pistol, you pick, you pick which one you want, and a 12-gauge shotgun. It didn't have to be a pump. It had the initial concept. It was like, these were real guns. He's a law enforcement officer, and you've worked in rural areas. You want a little more horsepower, and it all made sense. So they began. Um, and then over the years, it kind of morphed into uh, iron sight 308, limited capacity, 20 rounds. Uh, 12-gauge shotgun, pump gun, to give pump gun a place to play, which really made me happy, and then uh, any 45 ACP pistol. So that's how it ran for several years, and then guys complained a little bit, that, which rightfully so, that some match directors aren't very courteous of the guys that don't see you very well at distance. <laughs> so some of the targets were smaller and further and not painted or well taken care of. So now we can't see, so they made an optic division. So now we have limited iron and limited optic. Now, were you allowed to, kind of like what you were saying, were you allowed to actually have an optic or a red dot on any of those guns? Because we uh, have the open the class years, now. I played heavy metal, and I'll add, without patting myself on the back too much, I was undefeated for those six years. Never lost an event that I finished. Um, I was all irons. So I shot heavy irons, and I also met a pump gun, which is kind of how I cut my teeth on running a pump gun at speed, was shooting it in heavy metal for so long. And I found out I had a real penchant for running a pump gun, so... That kind of morphed into being selected for the team to represent the U.S., the Pan-Americans, to shoot pump guns. 
Okay. Um, so now what division do you shoot in? Well, I like to play around as much as I can, uh, as long as I don't receive some kind of edict from a particular sponsor saying I have to shoot one thing or another, and they're very kind about that, as long as they represent their product. Um, when Three Gun Nation came on board, it was TAC Optics, which is uh, you know, about 556 rifle, basically unlimited capacity, optic of your choice, auto shotgun and 12 gauge or 20 gauge, everyone ran 12, and a basically a 9mm or larger pistol of um, 20, 22, 23 round capacity based on magazine length uh, about getting into in the minutia. Um, and so I shot that for a year or two, and, and I shot, and I also dabbled in limited, always, always shot limited to some degree, which Iron Sight AR, uh, Iron Sight 5.56 rifle with the same pistol and the same shotgun. Um, but now I'm, I'm right now this year I'm beginning this season. What am I going to shoot? So I, I've got a couple scopes I'm playing with, but I think I'm going to start the season off back where I started early on, some seven or fourteen, fifteen years ago, um, in iron sights. So I'll shoot a, a limited class AR with iron sights, a um, nine millimeter pistol, Glock, and a um, an auto shotgun, Benelli. Now I noticed that uh, this last three gun nation uh, shootoffs, you had no part in it. That's correct. What's going I, on with all of that? Well, because I'm actually co-host of the show, um, part of the contract says that due to a potential um, conflict of interest, or at least a perceived conflict of interest, I am not to shoot the event, any of the events. I, I can't shoot on the Pro Series. Um, uh, this last year, I shot all the stages for camera to use it as a contrasted compare segment while we're doing the, uh, the live uh, the, the, look live show in studio, so I have something to compare and something to talk to the audience about. Um, so I shot all the stages from all the events last year. Um, but I didn't, couldn't, couldn't shoot anything for score because, again, it perceived um, uh, conflict of interest, the co-host of the show, shooting well enough to make the top ten on occasion. I see. Uh, I think Ethan, uh, we're going to throw it over to Ethan. He had a few little questions. Hit me. Yeah, not to, not to backtrack too much, but while we're, you know, we're talking about it and you've kind of reached, I guess, uh, I don't want to say an apex of your career, but you've, you know, you're kind of in the limelight now and your three-gun nation is becoming really mainstream. What what do you what do you remember as probably one of the more notable just you know something that sticks out in your entire career shooting three gun and, and shooting the action sports? Is there something that just always sticks with you or some memory that really really runs with you that you know you you like to tell stories about or something? Hmm, tell stories about. <laughs> I'm an Irishman. I don't know, think Patrick you, knows you, how to tell me, stories. Uh, an adult libation. I may tell you several stories. Half of them might be true. <laughs> um. As I'm wandering around my house, I tend to wander as, as I talk. I have a hard time sitting still. Um, I'm actually looking at a couple of photos taken by um, Jay Scott Photography in Arizona of uh, the first, if I'm correcting from wrong brain, but the very first three-gun nation ever man-on-man shoot-off. Um, and that is kind of a turning point for me, for uh, the game itself, for the fact that I think from that those those beginnings, uh, and my ability to speak on camera to some degree that was met with favor with either an audience or and or the people running the show, that started me down the path to being on the show. And uh, I was unsponsored at the time, and it also kind of paved the way for me picking up various sponsors. And in that very first event, uh, again, I'm the guy, relative unknown. I'm known as a heavy metal guy, but really uh, kind of a dinosaur and also ran. I'm just a heavy metal guy. Those who knew me really well knew I could shoot, but it's, I'm shooting heavy metal. I'm shooting this division where I'm hiding in because I'm really afraid to shoot against the big dogs. And sure enough, I come out of the gate and put Terry Butler on the trailer. So that kind of was a, a pivotal moment in my career that went, wow, this guy that's a little overweight and a little on the older side, actually Trump, one of the very best three gunners on the planet. And that kind of was kind of a springboard to, uh, to uh, what's happened ever since. You know, speaking about being a little bit overweight, have you? I, I about two years ago, I predicted that the whole three-gun shooting competition, as it as you introduced money and larger prizes, that the the competitors would become a little bit more athletic. Have you noticed a change where they are becoming more athletic? Are you finding yourself having to work out more, or doing anything special to stay up with some of the younger guys that are coming in? Well, even if I wasn't, you know. 30 pounds or 20 pounds, whatever it is, overweight. Um, based on my BMI, I should weigh 191 pounds or something at 6'4". Yeah, right. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, there is, as money is introduced to the sport, you're absolutely correct, Martin, that, that, uh, that you're going to see the, the birth of the athletic 
shooter. Uh, and, and not so much because you, you can start and stop or run fast, although absolutely they're part and parcel of the game. Um, it really has something more to do with you have a two- or three-day match. Um, there's a lot of thinking and a lot, enough movement. It's physical enough in its nature. But after two days or three days in the grind, your, your brain gets taxed. You get tired mentally. So you end up just kind of, okay, I look at the stage, I'm going to shoot that and shoot that. And you, you drop a shot here or you throw a miss there or you, you get a lot of sequence and you can't reel it back in or something goes wrong and your mental faculty, faculties have been, have been uh, tired by the fact that your physical body is tired. So the better condition you're in, the better you are always for any event, for any endeavor for the most part. Um, but you're right. There are a handful, and Greg Jordan is a shining example, and uh, Burton Thompson, Team Vertex, Tommy Thacker, um, um, Chris Anderson, uh, Jesse Tishow. Just talked to him a couple days ago. He's for a guy that he just you know God-given physical ability, physical talent, physical body. He's actually working out now. He's actually hitting the gym, and he you know he says he doesn't do it, but his physicality might might say otherwise. But he's actually hitting the gym too. These guys all realize there's a component there, and if you can't get your skill set any better, which these guys are at the top of the skill sets, the fundamentals, they've mastered them, where else are you going to go? I'll put a different compensator on. Oh, lighten up my load a little bit. No, go get in better condition. That's the next piece. And you're right, Martin, that's, that's what's coming to the front right now are, are the new breed of shooters that are in better condition, ready to play, harder and faster. You know, it's, it's funny you mention that, Pat. Um... You know, I, I notice I kind of follow, especially the, I'm I was in the army myself, so I follow a lot of the AMU guys. You know, Horner and uh, and uh, and uh, some of the other dudes from that side of the house. So it's kind of interesting when you see, especially the handgunners, because you know the action handguns real really fast paced. You know, JJ and uh, and Casey and stuff like that. So sure. a lot of the Glock guys, sure. and it's kind of amazing, especially especially the, the 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 spry little Filipino guys that are out there running around and just blazing through some of these stages. You know. Wearing, you know, I thought it was really interesting when I started seeing guys wearing cleats and stuff like that, yeah. and just really running the stage at almost a dead sprint. Um, right. And so, you know, it's it's interesting to see some of the other people, like you said, some of the other guys that had to kind of, you can buy your way into any piece of equipment, but at a certain point, you're going to hit that that wall. You're just going to hit a glass ceiling eventually. Absolutely. And with that being said, we, we got to give credit credit where credit is due. You still get guys that are my age, which is Rob Latham. We're the same age. I probably got a few pounds on me. He's not pleased about that, but that's, it is what it is. But he's still, you know, he's a top. If he doesn't win it, he's second or third. Oh yeah. And and that's just that's happened this last couple of years. Second or third was outside of his vocabulary for the last couple of years. Um, he's spread pretty thin, plays a lot of different games, but he keeps winning the single stack classic. So that just keeps happening. Well, that's because there's not athleticism in it. Wrong. <laughs> it's because it's limited rounds. You have to be accurate with every round you fire. He has a, a an ability to always put shots where they belong. Now, I don't want to get into the, to the into the weeds here, saying that some of the other hot rod GMs don't shoot quite as accurately. Well, they do what they do and they don't. Um, Eric Graffel, our every every time in the planet world champion from France, he's not necessarily always the fastest guy on the stage, but he's almost always the most accurate guy on the stage. He's as fast within you know a percent here and there. But he just shoots fast enough to put every shot where it belongs, no faster and no slower. He's very, very amazingly efficient. He's in very good shape. But he's, he dominates uh, the sport internationally. Uh, and Rob, to his credit, plays the same game just as well at an advanced, more advanced years. Again, 54 like I am, I'm 53. Um, several pounds overweight, bad knees. He's got one knee replaced. I mean, he's, uh, he's an interesting guy that he can do all that. In, so we're talking about, yeah, you've got to be really physical. You don't have to be, but as Martin was alluding to, and he's correct on, the better physical condition you're in, the odds are you're going to be a better, your, your mental faculties will be sharper, and you'll be able to play better longer. It just stands to reason. Now, you brought up something interesting, Pat, um, about uh, uh, speed versus accuracy. And, and I know, um, you know, since the dawn of action shooting, there has always been that balance of, you know, uh, fast enough not to miss, but uh, fast enough to win the stage. And so is is it different for every competitive shooter out there what their personal balance is on, you know, speed versus accuracy? Or I'm sure, that, you know, there's, there's guys that are at the top of the game that do both. But at some point, do you choose one or the other? Or is it just, 
Uh, is it more of a function of your natural ability? Well, to some degree, especially as you're working your way up, it, it is a function of your natural ability, what you can do better. And generally, most people can had better learn to be accurate and then learn to be fast. But it's been, and, there, and this is, like you were you know, talking about, Scott, it, it's gone back and forth over the years. Well, rather, rather, you know, rather be lucky than good. Well, okay, great. <laughs> Would you rather be fast or accurate? Right. Um, it, it is a balance. Absolutely at its core, it's a balance. That's why DVC, diligentia, uh, this, celeritas, the, whatever Latin for, for diligence, being accurate, um, uh, celeritas, speed, and this being power, it's a balance between those three all the time and every time. So now power is now fixed because you've got whatever your whatever the ejector right. that leaves your your firearm. That's a fixed component now. So now you've got the other two, and they are in balance by the teeter totter that is power. So it's uh, there is no you can't lean to one side or the other. Almost every stage you see is what they call hit factor scoring, and USPSA and IPSC actually pioneered this this, this kind of scoring to set it up that there'd always be a balance between one and the other. I mean, if you shoot bullseye, one hand, bullseye, Brian Zinn, 13-time national champion, it's an amazing discipline, exceedingly difficult. It's very slow-paced. You're shooting little yes. tiny groups with one hand at great distances. High-power rifle. Um, I can't think of the current national champion high-power service rifle, but you could take, you know, Carl Bernowski or somebody like that that shoots a long-range rifle. It's a slow, practiced, uber-accurate discipline. So there's only points. Time is fixed. There's only points. So we take the other component out. So when the action shooting sports came along, and they went, let's, let, let's, let's, you know, we aren't really, Jeff Cooper's idea really wasn't that it was going to be a defensive use of the firearm, or we're going to learn to train people to, to, uh, to uh, be able to engage hostiles. That wasn't the, the mindset. The mindset was, we're going to create a competition, and if you put Americans in competition, they are going to figure out what equipment works the best. It was an experiment to find out what technique and what equipment would work the, to work the best. So you, you create this, this, this game, this crucible, if you will, throw a bunch of people into the mix, pay them a prize for it, and guess what? Weaver lasts for a little while, Weaver stands, and it goes away. There's still guys that want to shoot Weaver. Fine, that's fine. You go right ahead. It has its merits. Well, Chapman, Ray Chapman won the world championships. Yeah, using the Chapman hole. That's great. Well, that went away, too. And the only thing that has dominated the whole time, and it's, it's, you know, since its inception, has been isosceles. Why? Because it ends up... The cream rises to the top. You put everybody in competition, they figure out what works. So, running back, because I'll, I'll run off at the mouth here, running back to uh, the balance of speed, power, and accuracy. Hit factor. Hit factor scoring is how many points per second. So, you've got a course of fire that has 60 points available, and you shoot it in 10 seconds. What's your hit factor? Six. So, if you do it, if you drop 10 points and do it five seconds faster, your hit factor's higher. So you can play, play with the numbers back and forth, look at the stage and go, well, I'm not really, I don't do a really great mandatory reload, so that takes all my time up, but I'm really going to shoot all, all center hits, get all my points. And you may end up balancing out based on your skill set with a higher score with a slower, with a slower time. Because you shot all the available points in X amount of time, the other guy shot lesser points in a faster time. It's, so hit factor is the amount of points divided by your time. That ends up being your hit factor. That is your score. Make sense? Oh yeah, very much. Cool. So as so, we we were, I had a quick question, Patrick. Sure. Uh, as we were going through, and you were kind of listing off um, things that are coming and going and growing and dying. Now, what has changed in the equipment world that would help you with that speed versus accuracy, or the other way around? Well, again, early on in the game, there was one division in in USPSA or IPSC, and it was. They didn't call it open. They just—that's what it was. There was no, there was no divisions. Uh, there was revolver, I believe, and then there was whatever else you wanted to bring to the table, as long as it made major power factor. You should major or minor power factor. Power factor is bullet weight times its velocity divided by 1,000. And if you're over in the old days 175 power factor, you were major, and if it was under that, it was minor to not be below 125 or 130. Again, it's changed several times over the decades. So you can come you can come to the line with brining high power in nine millimeter, which a lot of guys did way back when. You could use a, um, a um, tank folio in nine millimeter, and you could run nine millimeter major way back when. Now you can again, but you could, because the power factor was lower, they ended up okaying it again. 38 super K 
came to the fore. Really, 38 Super is when it came to its own. 38 Super was a, you know, you guys know the history of 38 Super. Uh, oh, yeah. It was, yeah. It was huge People back were looking for greater <laughs> penetration for auto bodies and things like that. So the FBI, hey, let's, let's use this hot rod caliber, which was the 38. Um, what was it? What did they call it before the 38 Super? Uh, 38, 38 ACP long or something like that? 38 ACP, automatic Colt pistol. And then they made it the 38 um, Super. Same basic case dimensions, higher pressure, plus P, basically. So, anyways, guys, well, hey, I can get more, one more round in 1911 magazine, because that's all we had. Everybody shot 1911s. Again, other than occasional high power, and then some of the European jobbies. I think I, uh, Angelo Spagnoli way back when ran a um, HK P9 or something. So anything to get a few more bullets in the gun. So you got one more round with the 38 Super, you ran that. So that came and went, because the organizing, organizing body went, Wow, guess what's happening? Well, some guys are taking frames and cutting them in half. Literally, taking 1911 frames, cutting them in half, welding in sections, and hand-building magazines. Wow. I didn't <laughs> realize that in the because early the days. the rules didn't say. The rules just said, right. a major minor, go shoot. Hmm. And it was flush-fit mags. That's right, it was flush-fit mags. And then, so, the guys said, making longer longer frames. Who says you can't have oh, a longer frame? You, know, yeah. you got a longer mag. <laughs> So it's it's again, Jeff Cooper was right. You set up the, they set up a competition, and let a bunch of guys go at it for money or prizes or fame. They're going to figure out what works best. So so many of our advances in firearms have come out of the shooting sports. You know, again, I, I tip my hat and I greatly appreciate everyone has, that has gone, you know, into into service for our country. Thank them all. God love them. They're wonderful people. But you tend to get wrapped around yourself in the military. It's, oh, we did this, we did that. Nope. So many of those things came from the civilian world. Red dot sites. They're ubiquitous within the military ranks nowadays. Some of the you know, forward guys all around aim points or things like that. Where did that come from? Well, that came from our ranks, the competitive ranks. We tested this stuff out, bulletproofed it, made it work the best because the, as always works, capitalism works. So oh, yeah. we'll only buy the stuff that works. You keep making it better, we'll keep buying it. And then we test it and show that it works in, in, the, in our theater, our little mini theater. The military picks up, and or, or the guys who are in playing the game who are part of the military go, hey, this works. Can we use this? No. Can we use this? It really works. So 30 more guys go, can we use it? Yeah, you can use that. It works. Now it's in the military. So it's interesting how much stuff has gone up, been pushed, pushed up as opposed to being trickled down. Answer any questions at all, or is that me, Pat Ramblin? No, again? <laughs> no, that's great. Um, well, I had a, a specific question, and uh, this was actually from one of our listeners uh, that, that we polled, um, and he is—he's uh, fascinated by uh, the shotgun, uh, mainly the loading, because you know that's what shotgun is about—is about loading. Uh, yep. It seems like the the shooting part and the uh, and the running the gun part is uh, is a little secondary in the loading part. But uh, you're a big fan of the Load 2, and do you still use the Load 2? I'll give you a little story behind this. There's always a backstory behind, every, behind sure. everything. I'm, I'm always experimenting, trying to find something that works better for me or fits my relatively lazy personality. Ah. Um, well, a- anything that's easy to, to learn quickly is easier to master quickly. Right. So if it's a very difficult task, and, you, and it's hard to even begin, it just stands to reason it's going to be a little harder to master. Um, for many, many years, um, within the U.S. you know, tree gun area, weekend has been the dominant way to do it, and it takes a lot of effort. Uh, I don't think Kurt Miller pioneered it, but he sure brought it right to the front of the line. Uh, he perfected it. He uh, spent many hours and many years learning to perfect it, and he does it as well as anyone who does it. Uh, several other guys picked up on it. But before that, the Europeans did load load two. Um, it's uh, information with some recollections back on my head. So some of the... Um, German teams would actually super glue the 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 oh the shells together before the match. Yes. Oh. So as you load them in, you'd snap the super glue as you put them in. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> it is brilliant, absolutely. Instead of trying to make fancy things to hold everything, it's like, well, you're in your house. What are you? Gonna... I know. I'll, I'll stick them in my little belt pouch, but they'll be stuck two or two, you know, top to bottom, two at a time. So that it's been around a while. I don't know how long quad loads been around. But anyways, uh, and I, in the, for many years, many matches, guys would strap uh, uh, shell holders to the side of their shotgun and load one at a time. They put it up on the shoulder, pull one out, plug it in, pull one out, plug it in. And it's in circular motion, kind of like circular breathing, which I ought to be doing if I'm going to talk this long. One. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you, you extract the shell from the, the side saddle and roll it into the gun one at a time. And Dave Nett, who won several championships and was always the top player in the game, 
did that quite well. In fact, he actually showed it to me in a hotel room before a national championship, and I was struggling. I tried every loading method in the world. He goes, try this. Sure. Well, that works, Dave. I'm going to do that. So I did that at the match, and it was a real big mistake, which is anytime <laughs> you change something in a hotel room before a major championship, it's always a mistake. <laughs> yeah, he, he was wanting to Left do that to too, maybe. That, yeah, that's a, that's a big rule of thumb. <laughs> yeah, a big rule of thumb. So there was that method. But as time goes on, people are always trying to find something new. What's old is new again. Load 2 comes back into play. Uh, a couple of companies, one of them is Carbon Arms, create these great little clips which really change the game that you have. Now you have something you can buy and not have to fabricate out of mop handle holders. You can <laughs> clamp this stuff onto your belt. They hold it. It's efficient. It's light. It works. They don't fall loose. And the lo- loading, too, whether you do it with a strong hand or weak hand, up on your shoulder, up, flipped upside down, is a very easy, literally, and I'm not blowing smoke here. I got a package in the mail of these little Load 2s, and I... Strapped it on my belt, and 30 minutes after playing with it, I was able to put eight shells in my gun in under eight seconds, which just doesn't sound like a very fast time, but it was a revelation to me because weak hand loading, I could do it just at or under eight seconds, but not all the time. My hands won't allow me to manipulate the shells. They don't roll through my hand as well we can, and I tried for a long time, and that's all I shot after a while for years. I could just never master the technique. Load two comes along, 30 minutes later, I'm outloading with more confidence and less fumble than I ever loaded a weekend. Now, that's just me. I'm not telling anybody that loads a weekend really well to quit. But load two is very easy to learn for almost anyone. Unless you have some kind of strange birth defect in your hands, <laughs> it's something that everyone can pick up. It doesn't take a large hand size. Quad load takes a little more hand size. Right. Load two does not. So that's why I load that, only because it's, the most, it's easiest for me to learn, easiest for me to maintain that skill set, and I don't believe I'm going to lose a match Loading, now I can load, you know, if I, if I practice up a little bit, I get eight shells in the gun in five seconds. Wow. Pretty fast enough for any game on the planet. I can do it left or right, up or down, running around, whatever I want to do, I can stuff two in the gun on the move. And occasionally, if you watch some videos of me, as I'm loading, I'll drop one. I don't even know I drop one. It's like I just grab another pair and stuff it in. Sure. I don't, don't even break stride. So I like it because it's efficient, it's easy to learn, and it doesn't take a lot to keep that going. And it's one of the, one of the pains of three-gun. If you want to be a really great pistol arrow, you have to work at it. You want to be a great shotgunner, you got to work. How many riflemen? You got to work at. You want to be a great three gunner? Lord God, you got to work on all three guns <laughs> right. all the time to try to be as good as someone else is working on all three guns all the time. It's a lot of effort. So anything that can reduces my workload allows me to be more efficient in whatever I'm doing. That's the tool that I want. Okay, and I think okay, and Pat, I think this brings up a good little segue here because something I wanted to ask, and you know, I I wanted to kind of state, you know, we're talking about some stuff in the shooters, we all understand it, but something I know we have guys that, me personally, you know, people are like, well, man, I want to get in to start shooting local matches, sure. or as someone who's been around that industry and been around the action sports, what is your recommendation when somebody asks you, hey, I want to get into Whatever action shooting discipline, you know, be it handgun, three gun, whatever. What what do you recommend Wonderful. to people when they want to get I, into? Now it? that's the way to approach it too. I I really am a one large tent kind of guy. I don't care what shooting sport you want to shoot. Come shoot a shooting sport. Pick a one. Now, I'm a big fan of the practical uh, or the action shooting sports because they hold held my attention the longest. I shot pistol silhouette for several years and did rather well at it. And it kind of dried up as a sport, but also I kind of lost interest. I got I set short term goals and met them. There were rather lofty goals, but I met them, and it's like, okay, I'm kind of done with this. What am I going to do now? And I found Bullseye, and I shot Bullseye. And Bullseye, I found that I found a peak. I made Master, and I made the 2600 Club, and I went, okay, those are worthy goals. I met them. Can you really get you know, to anywhere near Brian Zinn's level? I'm really going to have to put a whole lot more effort in oh, yeah. because it's, you're a machine rest at arm's length. It's, it's discipline like, unlike anything else. It's very, very difficult at that high level. Then I found this, you know, run around, throw guns in the dirt game. It's kept my attention. Now, the new guy wants to come play. Uh, I generally, if you have guns, and let's say you have a, you know, you have, you have an M4. You have a, you know, a Wyndham M4 hanging around that you paid $800 for. Don't buy a bunch of parts for it. If you can run it as it is, and you've gone to the range, and you've shot off the bench at 100 yards, and you got a zero, um, and you are safe with it, you know how to load it, manipulate it, you're done. Don't buy any more parts. Use that gun as it is. People get wrapped up about, oh, my God, you know, i got to get ready for that match. i got to get all my stuff. No, you don't. You need to show up. It's a local dirt shoot. There's just a bunch of local guys out having a good time. It's called a competition because they have a score. There's no one going home with a new, uh, new uh, 
Chevy pickup at the end of this of this in his 30 guy match out in the dirt field. So don't get wrapped up about what, having the right equipment. If you've got an M4 carbine, great, take that out. If you got a red dot on it, great, take it out. Don't worry about the division you're in. The scorekeeper will put you in the right division. What do you got for a pistol? You got a high point? I don't care. Does it work? Yep. How many mags you got for it? Three? Sometimes. Good. You can go shoot that. It doesn't make any difference. Shotgun, what do you oh, I got a uh, you know, Mossberg 590, military approved. Great. That's fine. Go shoot that. What division am I in? Who cares? Show up. They'll put you in a division. It doesn't make any difference if you have a, you have a ported choke. Well, I got to shoot an open. It gives all the open guys. You weren't going to beat them if they gave you their gear. <laughs> Quit worrying about that. But I understand the ego's on the line. It's one of those things that I don't like to say, but it's a, it's a fact that, again, I'm a big tent guy. All shooters are my buddies. Not a competitors, but all shooters are my buddies. <laughs> but if you're a competitor, you're a whole other echelon because now you're willing to take that ego and so many things have, you know, there's been, there's been deaths over ego. There's been barroom brawls to people being mutilated over ego. Ego is a wonderful thing. It's a blessing and a curse. But that ego, you have to be willing to lay that out there and go, I'm really a dork with a gun. I thought I could shoot great. <laughs> well, you could shoot great in the confines of your own house and your own little circle. Now you went to a local match and just a bunch of local guys. Nobody competes nationally. But, wow, there's four or five guys that really are great. Yeah, and they're B-class shooters. So, I think that's one thing we, we all have shoot. to learn, Pat. Um, What's that? I think that's one thing we all have to learn very quickly when we get into competitive, well, anything, but shooting especially, is uh, you got to learn to set aside that ego if you want to yeah. do, do it at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's tough. I mean, Scott, you know the drill. You know I've talked, talked enough times that, you know, you're, you're former military. I don't know if you're, are you a service now? I don't know. Yeah, I'm still in the uh, Air National okay. Guard. Very good. So... This is not a slight to the military or law enforcement or anyone else. But, and one of the funny lines I like to say, if you have testicles, you automatically know how to shoot. Yeah, exactly. It e- happens. Exactly. So now you actually are, are issued a firearm as part of your duties. Well, then you must have a double helping of testicles because now you've been <laughs> issued a gun. You've been, you've been charged with the maintenance, use, and employment of this lethal tool. So you, whether, whether you're printing or not, you're automatically – in your own mind, another head above the rank and file, the unwashed masses, those who really don't aren't charged with the with the duties and responsibilities of a firearm as part of their official duties. <laughs> well, there's three guys in your local town that'll whip your butt with a pistol, rifle, or shotgun because you know what? They spend the time effort on their own time without being issued to learn how to shoot. You've been bequeathed this this honor without any education. The rest of these guys have earned it. That's the ego buster. That's the hard part for military and law enforcement to get over. And I have gone to great lengths, and it's worked out very, very well in my little town here, that I said, hey, look, guys, and uh, you know, I made myself available. I had a, a local guy live next door, a law enforcement officer. We got to chat for a while, had a cigar together, and I talked for a little while. I said, look, you know, I'm really into guns. Oh, that's great. You into guns? Because, yeah, I really do. That's great. Uh, you know, I compete a lot. Compete. So I talked, explaining what it was. He said, why don't you... So we went and shot a couple times. Why don't you come out and, uh, our, you know, our, our um, multi-agency uh, tactical response team, why don't you come on out and you know, give us a critique? <laughs> I'm a civilian, man. You guys are going to hate it. <laughs> no, come on. I'll introduce you. So I'm out with him. He introduced me. I watched for a little while. I actually got asked, what do you think? I said, well, you know that guy's using the wrong eye? <laughs> what? <laughs> hey, he's using the wrong eye. How did, how did, and they were really thankful. I said, man, I, this guy's been with us for a few, couple of months. I didn't notice that. I wonder why he had a hard time doing this, that, and the other thing. So I kind of built up a rapport. And then I said, now, okay, I'll work with you guys. Gratis. You know, it's just I, knowledge not shared is knowledge stolen. So I'll work with you guys all you want. And I'll never teach you tactics. I don't know any tactics unless you consider speed a tactic, and I do. So I will teach you the fundamentals of marksmanship, how to shoot from any position with either hand, any gun you own. No problem. We can do that. But what you have to do for me, because there's no payment involved, is that you guys have to come out and shoot a, a, a local local steel challenge. Oh, man, I could hear the whining. and not <laughs> really whining out loud. I'll tell you what, how about your own squad? You guys can shoot duty gear and or not. It's up to you. You guys pick what kind of equipment you want to use. You're on your own squad. You shoot by yourselves. They came out. They had a great time. And I learned something about those guys. You don't want to shoot with them. You know why? Because they throw rocks and brass at each other while they're shooting. <laughs> <laughs> they are mean to each other. Yeah. And I, it's great. So they got training out of it, and they enjoyed it, and their skill sets got better. Now i got three or four of them that are full-time three-gunners. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. So 
you got to help people into the fold. Once they find that they enjoy it, they'll shoot it. If they find it as a skill-building tool, not a training tool, but a skill-building tool, they'll make use of it to whatever degree they like. The other thing is we got to keep the civilians from going, Oh, man, I bet you know how to shoot. You're a cop. Those guys get run <laughs> off the range real quick by me. No, yeah, you, you're you're 100% correct, and I, I'm still in as well. I'm a, actually a veteran of two branches. Um, and funnily enough, even inside the military coming from uh, the Army active duty, uh, where people do literally think just because it got handed to them and they've been doing it a way for however many years, uh, that it's the right way. And then I actually, and I just got tired of it because I was an underling who took the time to approach shooting as a martial skill, and so you'd have to tell someone of a higher rank or, well, attempt to tell someone of a higher rank or <laughs> nicely nudge them and be like, hey, sir, y- uh, how do I be nice about this? I mean, I, I had a <laughs> lieutenant once who didn't know how to clear the firearm and uh, went to the barrel and just charged it and just touched every other one off into the barrel because he didn't know how to remove the mag before racking the gun. So he just okay. emptied the magazine every other round into the barrel. And no one had the nuts to stop him. The clearing they just barrel. let him. Yeah, they just the, the clearing, clearing barrel. Excuse me. And they just let him go through it till he went to slide lock and then exited the range. So, uh, but he was clear at that point. Oh, he was clear. He yeah. was very, very clear. Um, so you know, it's funny, and I, I tell a lot of people that guys, especially cops, and and I'm I'm not a civilian cop. I'm actually a, an MP in the Air Force now. So I say, and I, I take the time to rag even local guys because a lot of them. Uh, again, think that they went to the academy and hit their basic call, and they do that quarterly, whatever they do. I think that's training um, on their range, and they think they know what they're doing, and then they, you put them under that other pressure cooker. And the, the scary part is a lot of guys don't, you know, there's not a lot of way to validate. I look at a multi-gun and the action sports, whatever discipline it is, is a great validation tool. Um, sure. Because I know a lot of guys, especially civilians and even cops, because they're not deploying and they're not, uh, literally applying the marksmanship, you know, you can you're doing your job, so you're validating your job, but you're not a, validating your marksmanship. Um, you know, if you're not in a direct action team of some sort that's shooting at people or being shot at on a regular basis, you really don't know. It's it's all theoretical. Right. And I tell people, hey, and some guys eventually burn out on shooting because they train, train, train so much, then they go, well, I don't, you know, they just hit that wall where they don't know what to train anymore. They don't know. They don't know where they're at. They don't have a, a gauge, basically. And so I said, right, go, shoot, yeah. go shoot local handgun. There's, I know U.S. TACRA might even still be around, which was all just uh, just service rifle, actually. I think it was kind of designed around shooting. Uh, I know, um, Doug, I think his name is Doug Howlett up at CERT. Um, one of the CERT guys, they used to run a little thing called U.S. TACRA, and it was more for cops to shoot their actual patrol guns. And uh, it was you couldn't, you couldn't run like an open gun. You had to run what you were issued. Right. And uh, and I think that's a great. And I think you know that's that's kind of something I wish would be taken more seriously is a nationally standardized um, patrol level or you know rack level shooting competition, especially that would you know I think I think if there was that was out there that would appeal and it would appeal a lot more to departments and uh, and you know professional shooters um, from that side of the house much more. Well, I think that's that's more of an education issue because I have shot. Uh, you know, USPSA and, and IPSC, and I've shot them, um, um, and IDPA, mm-hmm. and they all have a duty uh, class. So right. any cop can show up with their duty gear or military. So, I, okay, I've, see, I didn't know that. I, worn, I was not aware you know, of that. I've worn my GI issue gear, uh, complete with a uh, uh, canteen full of water, uh, to yeah, the you range. Gotta, you got to hydrate. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and competed just as like you said as a as a as a gauge to see you know if what I'm actually using actually works mm-hmm. uh, on a stressful situation under uh, this you know in this instance we're talking about time clock but uh, yeah and it's it's a very good validation tool and I uh, I encourage everyone to to go try it out at least and like Pat says uh, I think that's the best advice ever is uh, if you want to shoot. Uh, any type of competition, take what you have and go to the range with it. Uh, go to these competitions with it. What about the three gunners that have the three kids at home, can't afford all the ammo? What is the best way to train at home on almost no money? Understood. Um, dry fire has absolutely come to mind right away, of course. Um, but I like to also tell people to do, I, I don't want to be a, a heretic and say, oh, yeah, do this, but I don't do it. Um, 
I, I generally I don't dry fire so much as I, I fondle the guns a lot. I handle the guns a lot. So I'm very familiar with front end, back end, safety, re- reloading. So I, I dry fire in that sense. I don't spend a lot of time shooting at a, at a paper tar- at a fake target or paper target on the wall or something. But I do manipulate the trigger a lot, especially on, on any of the polymer guns, whether it's an MMP or Glock or XD. There's that reset. And I'm a fan. I, I get yelled at for this occasionally, but I am a fan of writing the reset or pin and release. And that's how I think all new shooters should really begin running the polymer guns or the guns with that yep. long that reset is learning to write the reset. That, that kind of puts your emphasis on where it belongs on the trigger. So if you learn to manipulate all your firearms in, in the comfort of your home or your garage, to where you're very comfortable drawing them, pointing them, dry firing them, loading them, putting them down, picking up the next one. Transitions are a huge part of three gun. And for very little money, you can duplicate, you know, some of the things. Your wife may not like having an empty trash can in the middle of her living room, but that's so be it. That's you're, you're not spending any money, honey. I'm actually playing with a trash can. Um, and <laughs> I like and it. learn to manipulate your firearms. That goes a long way. Um, I've been doing this a long, long time, and, and I still shoot local matches occasionally. And if I shoot a local match, which most of them are several hours from me, but if I travel to a, a local match, I run into people I had never seen before, and it's like, uh, you can tell the guy is. It's like I was when I first started, it's rather uncomfortable. You can see a little bit of shake in the hands, and he's not sure what to do, and he's looking around for his magazine. He's always got one in his pouch, and he doesn't have a second one. Hey, buddy, hey, Fred, could you get me on? So it's all that thing that you could have got taken, you could have taken care of before you got to the match. So that's really what it's all about, learning your equipment, playing with, playing with the tools. And I, I know we're talking about the gun, gun show we're talking about here, and I don't like to use the word play. But within the context of what we, you know, our more advanced listeners, this is a game. We're playing a game. So when I say play, I'm not being wanting disregard for the fact that there are lethal pieces of equipment. Neither is the, you know, cutlery in your house either. But uh, people probably suffer more wounds from their own cutlery than they do from. Probably explains fire. why I should but stop spinning anyways, kn- spinning um, knives in my you, kitchen. Play yeah. with the guns a lot. Handle them a lot. <laughs> you had talked about when you make a mistake, you know, people hesitating or you know not pushing through an error. Right. How often do you see that happen in the professional level? And then how can someone get over it when they're practicing at home? Other, or do they just get over it? What did you do to take care of it for yourself? Uh, again, you'll, you'll find I'm rather verbose, and I like to take people in different directions to get to the answer to the question. Um, I played, um, as a young guy, I played piano rather well. Um, and I was... And don't ask me if you meet me next week and say, "Hey, I can play the piano." I'll go, "What? I'll play you a little something, but not much <laughs> anything anymore because I don't I don't work at it anymore." It's one of those skills that's quickly perishable. But when I was playing at the little concert circuit and I had various teachers in Los Angeles that would, I would use me as a prize pupil to get more pupils. So they'd have me shoot the play his concert series, and I'd travel here and there and play all these concerts. Well, and it was my dad who really got me into the piano. Said, "Hey, you know, everyone makes mistakes. It's all about how, how you cover them up." In other words. If you come to a mistake in, in, a, in a piece and you stop, well, everyone knows you made a mistake. Right. But if you press right through, work your way back into where you belong on the sheet music, you're good to go. Now, your teacher knows, and any of the, the audio files, any of the really real um, the music uh, nuts in the, in the crowd will know that, you know, that was supposed to be a few sharp in the middle of rock monitors prelude. <laughs> 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 Great, dude. I'm glad you know. Can you play it? Well, hell no. Okay, then shut them and go away. <laughs> so it's, it's one of the same thing in shooting. The new guy, and the pros do it, the pros do it, and you don't notice it. But if I, I've interviewed enough of these guys, and they come off the range, and they went, yeah, yeah, and I got to hear it, and had this little bubble there. It's like, yeah, I noticed it, because I'm watching you to give you an interview. Right. Well, but no one else recognizes it, because it didn't look like it was a stop. It was literally a moment, a pregnant pause, as we like to say. Um, but the, the new guy, it's just exacerbated. It's just a greater level of pause. And the really new guy, or someone who just loses his little mind on the range, comes to a complete halt. And is like, what now? <laughs> he raises I mean, his hand. A, I need I, help. I, you were talking earlier about famous or infamous. I'm, I guess I'm infamous for uh, Three Gun Nation, what, the first season, I guess, where I Your don't pistol? bring a pistol with me. Your one pistol. of the Three Gun stages yeah. at uh, the Iron Man. I was just thinking about <laughs> that. Everybody <laughs> always asks Look about around. that. I ain't got no pistol. <laughs> Uh, so that was I've been shooting three gun for years and I didn't bring a pistol with me. That was stupid. But then that was interesting. I mean, you know, Travis Gibson brought me a pistol, I finished the stage, blah blah blah, that was great. But 
it's one of those things. It's all how you handle it. And all I did was like, I haven't got a pistol. What am I going to do now? And Aro went, you got a long-range rifle. Go shoot your long-range rifle targets. So I just I took misses for all those targets I didn't hit. I just stayed around too long. I was mildly, it probably was a second and a half. And he was like, go shoot your damn long-range rifle. So I ran up and shot that and it was over. But and for me, it was forever. I'm standing around there. How long? Is that six, eight, seven minutes? No, it's like three and a half seconds back. Go shoot your rifle. So it is. The difference between uh, uh, the, the pro and the, and the new guy or the amateur, which pro is, I, you know, it's really nice to be able to use the term pro. It's lovely. It feels great. But all these guys have a full-time job, and they happen to be very advanced amateur shooters. Because pro, by definition, means you're making at least, you know, professional services for photography. You have to make half your income from from photography to be a professional photographer. Well, nobody's making half their income shooting. And I think that's what's uh, really interesting about the shooting sports is people don't realize, you know, you you guys are on TV and you've got, you know, names emblazoned across your shirts and, and you know, the commercials that come on feature you guys talking about a, a product that's for sale. But I, I don't think people realize that uh, you're still not making a living doing that. You still got to go home and go to work uh, on Monday. And, yep, uh, and absolutely. I, I think yeah. everybody outside the AMU falls under that category. Right, right. And, and again, I, Daniel Horner and the crew, you know, Browning, Hank, uh, John Browning just, just left. He moved into the civilian circles. Um, uh, Coley, Jason, Jason uh, not Jason, Cooley, Coley, I remember his name. Anyways, the four or five guys are just qualified, which, come on, they, they are truly professionals in any definition. They are the cream of the crop. They train for the game. And they train to teach other soldiers marksmanship. I mean, they have a job, but their job is shooting sure. and training to shoot and the PT for shooting and reloading for shooting and having gunsmiths build their guns for shooting and testing out new loads and new, new guns for new games. That's what they do. So they are the upper echelon. They are professionals. Um, not to take anything away from them. They are the professionals. But we have civilians who have full-time jobs and wives and kids who are dedicating treasure and time to just try, try to get close to and occasionally best somebody from the EMU. And I, I, it, it's a great thing because if you don't have something to shoot for, well, you're guaranteed to hit it. So by having the EMU out there, it's, it is the, it's the, it's the, they are the brass ring. Well, they're the black and yellow, but they're the brass <laughs> ring out there. It's like we all want to try and be like that. And by watching Daniel, and, and Daniel is a great study, um, he's really the first guy in Three Gun to introduce especially within the context of the professional series, the, the very short, quick stages, where he never stops moving. He just never stops moving. Once the buzzer goes off, it's continuous movement. He figures out how to shoot a stage, and then these three professional series stages, the Three Gun Nation Pro Series, lends itself to that. They're set up that way, so there is movement, so it's dynamic, it looks good for TV, and it really separates the men from the boys with the girl bar. If you can't move and shoot, you need not apply. And it's a, it's a skill set that's a very advanced skill set, and Daniel doesn't do it with 30 extra rounds per target. He shoots what he needs to and no more. He's, and it's great. Watching him shoot, you see Keith Garcia going, I can do that. He doesn't shrink away. I can do that. you got, you know, Jesse, Kalani, uh, Greg Jordan, uh, Taryn Butler, all these cats going, yeah, I can do that. I'm seeing it done. It's like when you for the first four-minute mile. Well, I can do that. <laughs> it wasn't done until the first guy did it. Now lots of guys can do it. It's fantastic. And I'd like to uh, uh, go back, if we could. I'd like to backtrack a bit. You talked earlier about uh, pinning the trigger and riding the reset. And uh, and I wanted to know, let our fans know about your YouTube page, because I just watched your video on that. I think you put it out cool. not too long ago, right? And, uh, and uh, I thought that was the best video on pinning the trigger and riding that reset that I've ever seen uh, in, anywhere, much less on YouTube. And uh, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to plug your, uh, your YouTube channel and uh, any other endeavors you might have. Yeah, if you could plug into YouTube, and that's why I go by Patrick E. Kelly. It separates me from the horse thieves. There's a Patrick Kelly out there that I think he was in Hollywood or something and started Wonder Woman or something. Yes. But uh, to separate me from, from the also rants, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, kids, tongue-in-cheek. I don't think that much of myself. Uh, Patrick E. Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y, into YouTube, it'll take you right to me. You'll, you'll find me there guaranteed. Uh, I also am an active photographer. Uh, if you go to multigunmedia.com, you'll find uh, a bunch of photography. If you want something, let me know. I can uh, offer it to you for some level of uh, monetary compensation so I can afford to shoot some more. 
Thank you. I have to ask, Patrick, what are what are you playing with in your hand right now? Oh, I'm sorry. I should try to stop it. No, you, you don't need to. I, I just have to know what it is. It sounds like you're clicking a knife. It is. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Kershaw blur. Oh, that's a good one. Perfect. Yeah. By all means, keep doing it. I mean, whatever's sorry making you that. concentrate. I just I knew you were doing something. I was like, I need to know what that is. <laughs> I, I knew a couple guys that I have some friends here that do with guys that carry knives. You know, you run in the circles and most everyone actually carries a knife now. Yes. And I know a couple guys that when they get... You know, you can tell when uh, what the, what the nature of the phone call is based on how quickly uh, a their brow <laughs> furrows and b their knife comes out and they start you know uh, pathologically flipping their knife and how aggressive yep. they are when they're flipping their knife. You're like, yep, yep, someone's getting yelled at. Yep. <laughs> uh huh. Yep. Yep. Well, this is a new one. I, I, I just turned 54 February 9th, and the wife bought it for me for my birthday. So it's a new companion. So it, like just like handling the firearms all the time, this is a new companion. If it's going to ride in my pocket. I have to be intimately familiar with it. The only way I can do that is by funneling it a lot. So, I love my little Kershaw blur. <laughs> Kershaw Man, it's sharp. Yeah, yeah, be careful. The uh... yeah, I love sharp knives. I love sharp knives. You can't get off the phone to call nine one one. You have to stay through the interview no matter what. <laughs> <I will. laughs> No, that's the PT. She'll bandage it up. Then you keep talking. Oh. <laughs> now, uh, I, speaking of uh, uh, happy birthday, by the way. Uh, but Thank you. Sp- speaking of birthdays, did you buy yourself a uh, a BFR for Christmas, or did somebody yes, get I that did. for you? Oh, okay. I yes, wondered I where, where that came from. Yeah. Well, uh, I, speaking of your YouTube it's, channel, it's fun. <laughs> I, it's, I, I think you saw the video. Then it's, it's a cartoon gun. I have that. I have a um, Desert Eagle in fifty. Yes. Um, I Which have I'm sure you shoot all of these one hand. Will not run. I keep every time I take it out, it runs about five shots, and then it craps out. Something breaks, and they're uh, long discontinued. Been discontinued for a dozen years. And uh, execution, uh, the engineering was fine, but execution was poor. And it's a big gas operated. It was in Death Wish three or something with uh, what's his name, in Force Mr. Will Wildy. It's yes. 375 Wildy Mag. Oh, I have one, so it's my cartoon gun collection. Right. Um, and now, I, I, I like, I used to shot silhouettes, but I like big booming guns. And sure. I, I don't shoot them so much anymore because it's tough on the wrists. But I just find, you know, that they're, they're such a good value. I mean, uh, for under 1000 bucks, you get a super, super accurate long-range revolver. <laughs> and it's, they're big, they're nicely built, they're cool looking, and it's just fun to step away from competition and go plink. Because honestly, that's really what I am at heart. I'm fortunate, I'm blessed to be in the shooting sports at the level I am. And, and to be asked to be on your guys' show, things like that wouldn't have ever entered into my head. Because I am really just a guy who learned how to plink as a kid. And I've been shooting tin cans and 12-gauge hulls off a fence post since I was just a little kid. And if you live and my own devices, that's what I'll do. One of my favorite things to do is, is I'm, you know, especially if i got good light and my eyes are feeling good, you know, I've got 12-gauge hulls out there, but I'll start putting 45, empty 45s and 22s at 15 yards and start shooting them. And it's like, this is fun. You know, can I do it upside down? I can try. So i got to have something to stimulate the, the brain and make me happy to be out there at 50 cents, 50 cents, 50 cents every, every trigger pull. So there's got to be a reason for me to do that. I, I'm, bump fire doesn't thrill me. So I need to, well, it does, but it's, it's <laughs> gosh, that was a lot of money downrange. Well, I noticed so, that um, you, talking about that, you actually like to share your trick shots with the world, even including on yeah. YouTube and anywhere and everywhere you can. Uh, where can people find that aside from YouTube? Aren't there a couple shows that, that you have? Um, yes. Uh, if you go to Shooting Illustrated, the NRA's only newsstand publication, which is actually a really good publication, um, they have a web, web page, and you'll find the complete archive of a dozen videos. I did a dozen videos for hire for them. Um, and they, they called them Tactrics, Patrick's Tactrics, and they wanted me to use tactical firearms. So I have some tricks that I'm getting ready to unleash here with a baby Browning 25 Auto. Um, you know, I, it's impossible. Nor will I even begin. I, Jerry Mitchellick is, is a buddy of mine. I really like him. Yeah. He's a great guy and just a tremendous. I mean, all around, he can shoot anything. I don't think people realize the so well-rounded skill set that he has. And there's a, again, I'm not go off track here. There's a big match coming up. It'll be the first time they've ever had it. Trigicon and the NRA and uh, I think some other companies are supporting it. And it's, they're calling it a world shoot, but really what it is, it's a multidiscipline, who really is the best shooter event, most well-rounded shooter event. And they're going to have F-class rifle, service rifle, 50-yard bullseye, a cowboy action stage, a three-gun stage, five-stand, 
prep. So they're going to have every single, I think, 12 different disciplines represented in this in this wow. game. So this is the Olympics. And, this is really the shooting Olympics. That's awesome. <laughs> truly, truly. And and the first, you know, they, have, they want to have 400 shooters, but the first, you know, first wave is all by invitation, and then the second wave is all by by uh, uh, by CV, by curriculum cr- cr- vitae. Um, so you have to get to submit a resume for yeah, those who don't yeah, see resume, CV. CV. Um, oh. My wife trained me on that. I, I'm really a dummy by that. I still man. don't know what so CV stands for. I know how to I know how to make one. I don't know what the CV stands for though. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so you create a resume and submit it, and if, they, if it looks good enough, they will send you an invite. Now we're going to see guys like whether it's John Kruger, who's probably one of the very best sporting clay shooters of all time. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if he can handle other guns. You know he's got a I don't know the birth defects. I think he actually lost fingers on his right hand. So he uses a Velcro glove and a Velcro patch on his Kree-off shotgun to shoot it. And he has for years, and he dominates the sport. He's just amazing. So I don't know. I mean, he, he deserves an invite. I don't know if he'll accept it because I don't think he can shoot with the other hand very well, some of the other disciplines. But whether that guy or Wendell Cherry from the sporting clays world, you know, or a, or a Carl Bernowski from the high-power rifle world, or David G. Tubb, or Doug Koenig, or Rob Leatham, absolutely – but, man, if I had to bet right now on one guy, Jerry Mitchellick. Yeah, he's 60. So what? That guy's he forearms are built like everything. Tanks. Yeah, hopefully they'll do a, the 50 cal bill drill and he'll just uh, smoke <laughs> <Yeah>. that one. <laughs> there you go. All right, Patrick. So I'm well, really looking forward to that. I, I, I've been assured I get an invite. It hasn't showed up yet, but I, I've been told through channels that no doubt you'll get an invite. So that pleases me greatly just to be considered in that echelon. But Well, you have uh, to. I think I, but there was a question or something. Was Jerry? Oh, yeah. Uh, trick shots. Yes. I oh, find yeah. That place again. Just let me wander long enough. <laughs> uh, what was your favorite trick shot that you've done ever? Okay. Um, well, it was one that I. Uh, let me preface it by saying all the shots that I do, every shot and every video you see, that's a trick shot video. I can do that shot sixty percent of the time or better. Sure. So these aren't these aren't just oh I could do it accidentally. Now, I'm not asking for people to go, hey, Pat, do that shot you just did at a match. I'm like, yeah, right. Give me that. <laughs> Take a little more prep than that, guys. <laughs> but when I'm working up a shot, it's something, okay, this is not one-off. I have to be able to do it 60% of the time or better before I fire up the video camera, something I know I can do. So I go out, usually I'll go out a day before or a couple days before, and I'll go, well, I think I can do this, and I'll try it a couple of times. Okay, I can do that. Or I find out something I can't do, and I'll give you the case in point, which leads me to the best shot or the best one I like the best. Iron sights. You guys are familiar with shooting ARs with irons. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. you put your face pretty much nose right up against the charging handle so you can see through the stupid little peep sights. <laughs> yep. Now, if you put your face at the back of the stock and see, you see through the peep sight, no. Now, if you put a mirror at the butt stock and then put your face and look backwards in the mirror, can you see through the peep sight? Double no. Because you're so far away, you can't see that little hole. You right. have to be close to the hole to see through it. Well, I didn't even think of that. When I threw the mirror on the butt stock, I went, hey. I can't shoot backwards like this. You have to have open sights, buckhorn, notches, whatever, to do that. Well, how am I going to do that? I want to do it with AR. I don't want to do special, put special sights under anything. Oh, I know what I'll do. Because I, I use a globe, a large globe front sight on my iron sight ARs. I took that globe front sight and put some white paint on it to make it a great big white front sight. And then I use it in reverse. When I look in the mirror... I see the round outside aperture, not the hole, but the rear sight as its outside surface. Put that outside surface in the middle of the white surface that's now the front sight. Put a circle in a circle and use that to aim at the target. Well, there you <laughs> wow, go. That, 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 that's making me think. That's like some Bob Munden stuff. I remember watching, <laughs> watching the videos of Bob Munden shooting out of a, shooting backwards from a, uh, the reflection, like a diamond ring and things yep. like that when he would do those sorts of trick right. shots. Yep. That's amazing. So, I never thought of that. I didn't know I could do it until I said, okay, I can do this. So once I painted it white, right there in the field, I grabbed I, you know, I had some white paint for painting targets. I just spray uh, put it on, on the ground, put it on my thumb, put it on the front side. I said, hey, let's try that. And sure enough, I could do it. Okay, I can do this. So, and, and I'm not a really poor, poor poker player because I don't have a good poker face and I'll play my best hand when everybody else is folding. I'll throw out a straight flush because I'm an idiot. <laughs> so it's the same thing with this, this, uh, these trick shots. And I did a trick shot early on where I split a playing card at 21 feet, upside down, one-handed with a revolver. And then I went, what am I going to do now? I can't do, I can't do anything right-handed, regular-handed now. He's going, well, geez, you already split a playing card upside down. Well, geez, what an idiot. Work your way up to these cool things. 
So during this video series, I shot backwards with a mirror at 100 yards at a, a MGM plate rack, MGM Target's plate rack, best plate racks you can buy. And I shot their 8-inch plates, 100 yards, and I shot three of them down facing the target, put the gun around, shot three of them down uh, with the target reversed with a mirror. So that was my first one. I was like, that's pretty cool. Can I do that at 200 or 300 yards? i got to do something that really nobody else can do or nobody else even considered trying to do. So I did, and that was the one that impressed myself the most. And I forgot what I called it, but it was a big sigh of relief, and I actually named it at the end of the video. Usually I try to have a little script, but uh, <laughs> at the end it's like I got bit off more than I can chew or something. I forgot what I saw. <laughs> said. But anyway, I set them up on a public range. People driving in and out. So when they drove up, I said, can you just give me 20 minutes? So I had 20 minutes to get the shot. And I try to, I want, you know, I'm human, so if it takes me three shots, fine. If it takes me four shots, fine. If it takes me any more than that, let's reset the target and try again. Because, I, again, I am I'm human. I, I, I want to show that this is not luck. It is skill. But the truth of the matter is I can't always do it in two. So I set them up, and sure enough, again, I clock's running out, daylight's running out, people are driving up. One, two. A 200-yard target and a 300-yard target backwards with a mirror with an AR-15. Well, one of the things that yeah, I couldn't believe I could do it. Well, wow, that was cool. You sit there <laughs> and you, cool. you give a, a a you know fifteen twenty second lead in and then a fifteen twenty second lead out as you you know setting up the shot and then ending the shot. You can't sit there and remember everything you want to say over and over and over again. You're nope. gonna get tired. You get tired and worn out. Right, and it's all one take. Exactly. I mean, I, I don't, the, the editing is to put a picture in picture, but all the shots are done with one camera running from me saying hello to setting up, to loading the gun, to firing the shot, to making it happen, and turning around and dressing the camera, all one take. Right. I just I mean, my name means too much to me. I, I, my dad gave it to me, and he told me that's about the only thing I can really give the kid to take care of it. So it's one of those things. I, I, Although I have suffered a little bit of criticism, and that's okay. I get that. People are weird when they don't have to face you. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that I had to set it up, that I knew that this is all one camera. There's no trickery here. People can say what they want to, but there it is. Take it for what it's worth. It's right there. And I haven't received very much in the way of, oh, well, I could do that at 800 yards. <laughs> Show up, dude. <laughs> and, I, and I think Show that's just – you can do that. And I think both of those things, the negative and the positive, are, are just a uh, – uh, you know the world we live in now with the internet. Really? If, some, if somebody could do it, they could put it on the YouTube channel just like you Improving. did. I mean, right? Th- and that's what's great, and uh, and I guess what's awful about it all at the same time. Um, but it's uh, you're definitely contributing as opposed to uh, some of that other stuff that's on there. <laughs> and that's one well, of the things. Again, I goes back to the old uh, you know knowledge not shared is knowledge stolen. I I don't have any kids. I've got no one to leave whatever value I have in the way of knowledge in the shooting sports or firearms in general, I got no one to leave it to. So again, I really appreciate this opportunity, guys, to come out here and talk and, and maybe reach a few more people out there to go, this, this guy sounds like he's having a good time. Shooting is fun. They're with, if, you know, properly handled, they're as safe as any other, any other uh, dangerous object you handle every day, including your car. Go have some fun, recreate, enjoy yourself, have a good time, do it safely, and bring somebody else out to the range. This is fun. And, and, and ultimately... It's, 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 a, it's a hidden motive. If everyone comes out and enjoys the shooting sports and really has a good time, you're going to have a hard time telling people, well, guess what? We're going to legislate that fun away. No, you're not. <laughs> okay. No, you're not. Well, didn't you vote Democrat? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> well, are you going to do it now? Well, no, you're not going to take away my fun. No, you're not. Thank you. Well, Patrick, uh, I know that we're hitting about that one-hour mark that we had you for. I uh, want to give, this, give you an opportunity to you know shout out to any of your sponsors or anyone that you care about uh just take a moment and do that and and then slide in that we're we'd like to have you on again but go ahead and do your sponsors well number one i'd love to be on again that'd be great thank you again i have you guys can ask more questions and i have a lot more answers or a lot more opinions anyways i'll tell you what <laughs> Pat. Shout outs go again i'm really lucky it was like five years ago i'd be four or five years ago i actually asked for sponsors and i was agreed with open arms and i I think I have all but one sponsor today that I started with. Uh, Cheaper Than Dirt, was like number one, um, had been really kind to me and helped me out a lot. Uh, Benelli, I shot Benelli long before I ever considered being sponsored by Benelli. I, I shot lots of different shotguns, but Benelli have always worked for me. So when they asked me, ask me, do you want to be part of the team Benelli? I said, well, of course I do. I already shoot your guns. <laughs> and they've been really nice to me. Uh, Hornady Ammunition, I've I, I loaded up my own ammunition for years. Uh, and then I got to the point where I could afford to buy a lot of ammunition, so I bought it. But for all the long-range stuff, the best value on the planet was always Hornaday. 
168 grain mass for all my free weight stuff. So I ran into one of the principals at Hornaday and said, would you like to be sponsored by us? Yes, I would. So now I'm sponsored by Hornaday. Um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Seekins Precision Rifles, uh, Gun Seekins is relatively local to me in Idaho, really good guy, interesting parts, and really, really builds high-end rifles. I never owned a high-end rifle. Now I do. Uh, would I recommend everyone get a get one? Well, if you can afford it, yes. You don't have to, but, man, I love my Seekins Rifles. Uh, CMC triggers, ignite all the primers, and man, I can't, I could not shoot as well as I do today if I couldn't make efficient use of practice. And to that end, steel. Now, I shoot MGM steel. I think MGM's the best. It's lifetime warranty. You can't kill it. You can, it's just built to last forever. But without efficient practice, you're just not going to get there. And setting up paper targets all the time is a big time killer for me. So I just set up steel and I shoot it. And if you just had a you know, BCC, BCC zone target and a plate rack, or just a BCC zone target and just shoot it till you get tired, you'll be very happy. Well, it's carbon arms for all my shotgun stuff, X-Rail for extension tubes, you know, Glock works for Glocks. Yeah, it's all great stuff, all great companies. But man, I, I'm, I'm blessed and fortunate. And again, thank you, gentlemen, for allowing me the, uh, the your airtime to, to talk to a few people out there and hopefully get some more people interested. No, thank you. We appreciate it so much. And uh, we definitely look forward to having you on again. Yeah, so far you're you're our favorite guest. <laughs> <laughs> by default, hey, yes, that's it's okay. I'll, I'll take it. You by should default, take that. Man. Yes, me definitely. Again, then I'll be your first and second favorite guest. There you go. <laughs> You'll always be our favorite one. Oh. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much, Patrick. Have a great day. Thanks, Pat. All right, guys. Bye bye. Say bye, so we edit. I'll edit oh, it in. Just just say bye, so that it fits. Hey, talk ah. to you later. <laughs> 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 Believe that! Oh my god, thank you! Oh! Oh! Oh, that was the greatest thing ever, Martin!